to this week's Three Legs Four Wheels F1 podcast. It's Paul here with Chris and Lee. Yeah, there's yeah, only three we, of us today. Yeah, we are uh, we are Seanless tonight. Get get well soon. I'm shouting up two flights of stairs, but I probably shouldn't be just in case I wake her up. Because she's feeling a little bit under the weather, so um, she's decided to take a night off tonight. I think she got worn out by the uh, by the Austrian Grand Prix. It Maybe was, it was, Maybe. It was good, wasn't it? it? It was all right, yeah. It was, it was, it was we had a, we had a couple of decent races now in 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 a row, and uh, I was just about to say something else was worn out after the Austrian Grand Prix. Definitely, Carlos Sainz's Ferrari. Oh, yeah. That is that is the biggest biggest blow up I've seen in a long time. Have you seen the video of the guy who runs towards the car with the fire extinguisher, then puts it down halfway there and turns around and runs the other way? Yes, I was. Wa- it's on I was wa- fire! I was watching that when it happened, and there was three of us in the room watching it, and we were all shouting, "What are you doing, you crazy fucker? It's on fire! Put the damn thing out!" It, yeah, put it, the fire was... out first. Stop the car later. <laughs> yeah, there was. Um... There was there was a lot of headless chicken nonsense going on, wasn't there? Yeah, to be fair, I know it was panic mode because obviously science is being told that he's on fire. Get out! You're on fire! Get out! You're on fire! Get out! Um, but the um, if he just turned that wheel to the left, it the back wheel would have not caught on the just caught on the um, on the fence, not on the fence. Yeah. You know what I mean? On the on the on the hoard, boarding there and just sort of stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, stopped rolling, but I mean, obviously he was in a bit of a panic. Um, not something bit to of think a tizzy. about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't know what to do if you were sat in a car and it suddenly burst into flames, though. Yes, you would. Again, no, I think you'd help from that car. Yeah, I think you. Well, yeah, you move yourself <laughs> from the car, but uh, yeah, I think you, you you'd probably want to get out as quickly as possible, especially if a fire is spreading that quickly, and you it's can see it fire. in the mirrors. Yeah, yeah, I thought fire. so. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just the engine went. Because when they cut away from it, I was like, "Oh no, no, this is going to be like one of those things." It just, it, it literally just, just like explodes. <laughs> Luckily, we never saw that. I mean, I the, wonder if it was. Worry... I wonder if it was any worse. I wonder if that fire was any worse, or whether it's just the fact that the cars have got the cutouts in it. So that gives, so it gives the fire a place to like to escape and come through. Mm, maybe. Well, I mean, that's that's the first time I've actually seen um, an engine shoot its pistons out. Mm. Yeah, well, there's bits of metal all over the floor, wasn't there? Sparking mm, yeah. everywhere. So it wasn't just a it was a, it was a proper pop, not a oh your engine's just failing. You know, mm. just deal with it. Yeah, it it was a bang. Yeah, similar to when Magnussen's engine went in the Honda McLaren McLaren Honda when uh, he was on his warm up lap after Fernando Alonso got didn't sorry get electrocuted. Yes, that went with a um... with metal everywhere. Yes, yes, I seem to recall that happening. Yeah, and didn't it happen to Vettel once as well? Again on an installation lap uh, in a Ferrari. That's true. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Possibly, it'll be one. Charles Leclerc's turn next time because Ferrari don't seem to be able to beat Red Bull without blowing their cars up the next race. <laughs> and of, and of course, if we're talking about fire, it used to happen to poor Julian Palmer every single week. Most most unlucky driver. Uh, well, I was going to say ever. He's clearly not the most unlucky driver ever. He's not even the most unlucky British driver ever. But he's pretty unlucky driver, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it if it could go wrong, it did. And he got blamed for it. And I know we gave we gave him stick at the time, but looking looking back, a lot of what happened to him definitely wasn't his fault. 
I kept faith. I think you're fine. I, I always said he was had bad luck. Checks the archives. I think I think I think I, think, I, think, I, know, I think I've been pretty. I've been pretty consistently on Team Palmer. <laughs> well, no, you like him as a podcaster. I uh, he's, he's yeah yeah he's, he's actually quite a good pundit with like the way he he gets into stuff. I wasn't not, sure about. He's not just quite good. He's the best Formula One pundit right now. Yeah, um, the best. I don't know if it, yeah, that's a hard one. I don't know if there's anybody. He'd have, he'd have to come on the show to prove he was prove he was the best one. We've been, oh, yeah, we've, been tra- we've been trying. We have been trying. Press, one... Present company excluded. Oh, thank you. Uh, one other thing we were doing this weekend. Um, just want to say thanks to our friends at the Sim Centre for an absolutely fantastic day on Saturday. Yeah, it was great fun. I genuinely, I genuinely had so much fun in that place. Yeah, I mean, the picture of me sat in the, uh, in, let's be honest, it's an F2 cockpit that's done up like the 94 Williams. Um, it it looks cool. And to be honest with you, seeing me sat in that car, I'm like, hey, that looks cool. I was fucking awful when it actually <laughs> came to, to, to doing anything in that car. So much to the point where I was just like, I I really can't be arsed now because I'm doing so badly in this week. <laughs> You're doing yourself down, Chris. You did get the fastest time around the Norch life. I did, rather not, yeah, out of everybody who was there. Um, I, I didn't get to go around the Norch life. No, not everyone did. I think oh, that's why shame. I managed to get the fastest time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we will have to, uh, we'll have to go back again and um, give it another go. And um, thanks to Matt Steele for Matt joining well, us at yeah. the weekend as well. Uh, came all the way over from Los Angeles just to do a lap, a virtual lap of the TT course. Well, sort of, yes. <laughs> well, he had been working in London for a month, but he came, yes, he came yeah, over. There is that, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, if, any, if anybody um, anybody who listens to this finds themselves on the Isle of Man and fancies an afternoon sim racing, give us a shout because, you know, we'll, we don't need much of an excuse to go back there now, do we? No. Absolutely not. Right, shall we have a look back at um, the Grand Prix? Because I don't think there's a there's a great deal in the way of news to start with. But we'll do some Monday news afterwards. Well, about do you want to do news first? Do you want to do the news first about four hundred million pounds worth of news? You could do that bit if you want. Jump change. Hmm. Um. So. Bernie Eccleston has been charged with fraud over... Now, we've got to be very careful what we say here, so I'm just going to quote the articles that I've read. And we're not going to have any conjecture over this because he has got a lot of high-powered lawyers. But he's been charged with fraud over £400 million worth of overseas assets um, that he... um, He's been under investigation by HMRC, which is the UK's tax tax body for the government. Yeah. And the Crown Prosecution Service issued a statement today, Monday the 11th, saying it had authorised the charging of Bernard Charles Eccleston with fraud by false representation following a HMRC investigation. Um, so, and they also said, and this is, what, this is where it comes into us, it's extremely important that there should be no reporting, commentary or sharing of information online which could in any way prejudice these proceedings. So, Absolutely. Um... The fact... So let's talk about it. So the f- <laughs> we're allowed to we're allowed to report that it's happened. So the facts are that Bernie Eccleston has been charged. He um, obviously presumed innocent until found guilty. 
But this is definitely going to be one to keep an eye on over the coming months. Yes. Because it looks like it may be going to court. And it has nothing to do with what he said about Vladimir Putin the week before. No. But he would take a bullet for him. But we did, we did that one last but week. But it has nothing to do with that. But it has nothing to do with that. No. And, I, I mean, that's um, unusually a Monday news story. Yeah. It, you know, something, something that actually happened today. Um... In other in other news, um, do we talk about the ERA Championship now? Do you want to do that now, or do you want to do the video that that went up on Twitter today? I think we'll do the video first. Um, yeah, Colton Hurt has been testing the 2021 McLaren at Portimao. Yes, and thanks to um, regular listener, friend of the podcast. Um, amazing architect and great iRacing livery designer Adam Smith, who just happened to be on holiday in Portugal this week, and just and happened, managed to stand outside the circuit and, and just film. just managed to get to um, managed to get to the circuit. Uh, we've got footage of it. So if you um, if you haven't seen it already, um, we tweeted it out earlier on this afternoon, and mm-hmm. uh, well, one hundred and fifty thousand people have watched it so far. Oh, it's, it's, uh, and that, it, this is only Monday evening this, we're recording this. Is, this. this is, oh, sorry, it's 130,000 as it stands um, four hours after it went up. Um, yeah, have a look. He's driving last year's McLaren in this year's livery. Um, McLaren haven't released the times yet, but it's going to be interesting to see what, um, what comes of this. Because, personally, I think that he's getting his mileage in so he can get his Friday licence so they can run him in FP1 as a rookie driver at the end of the IndyCar season, which, of course, finishes in September, so there's still quite a few races to go in F1 by then. Yeah. Don't know what, don't know what you guys think? I, I think I think you're right, and I think they're positioning themselves to, to replace Daniel Ricciardo next year. There, there are two drivers. There are two drivers testing for McLaren in Portimao. Uh, the other driver is McLaren F1 test and development driver, Will Stevens. Good name. You, you remember? I, you must remember Will Stevens. I, I miss Will Stevens. I quite liked him. <laughs> the Cockney chimney sweep. Yeah. Yeah. Was he called called Grosjean a Muppet over the radio? <laughs> yeah. Is that him? Yeah. 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 I mean, if if Guy Ritchie had invented an F1 driver. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, so, Pat- yeah, so, so Colton Hedger and Will Stevens are, 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 are doing it, but the um, Pato Award has already done a test. Um, because do we think he, these yeah. two... Because um, Pato Award did the Young Drivers test after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix last year. Yeah, so do we think these two, either Colton Herter or Pato Award, we know McLaren are, are, are sort of branching out across many, um, many forms of racing, um, IndyCar, Formula E, Formula One. Um, Extreme E. Yeah, extreme e. Um, so, do we think that McLaren are looking to switch drivers, maybe for uh, cross cross promotional purposes? There we go. Mm. That's what I'm looking for. Well, this is the thing you see because Colton Herter currently isn't contracted to McLaren. He's just got a um, test drive deal with them because in IndyCar he races for Andretti, mm-hmm. um, who obviously we're trying to get into Formula One, but um, the teams have put the kibosh on that for the time being. 
But McLaren, as we talked about last week, have signed Alex Rossi, and they're in a position now where they've got the potential for more drivers than seats. I think it was Sean that found out that uh, they're planning on entering a third car in Indy next season. Right, okay. But of course, so they. That, that would free up one seat, but I mean. But they're taking over the uh, and they're taking over the Mercedes Formula E team next year, and yeah, you know, as we said again last week, the seat's currently held by Nick Debris and Stoffel. Now, they tried before they bide with them too. They did, and they got rid, and then Mercedes picked them up and made uh, Nick Debris the first Dutch motorsport world champion. Yeah, still can't get me head around that. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, McLaren are obviously in massive expansion mode. Um, do, what do we think this is Ricardo um on his way out or preparation for if he decides to go or of McLaren or are they just sizing up drivers to make a decision I think that I, I don't I don't think there's any chance of being in that car next year I I think he'll I think he'll start the season I mean Zach Brown said that they've got every intention of him running in, running next year but because he did, he did have a caveat on there he needs to what was it display Lando levels of performance, which is obviously not going to happen because they're not even going to start up. They're not going to update the car now. They've called they've called it a day on development of the McLaren this year. Have they already? I yeah, missed that. Was, How did you see yeah, that? That it was on the race podcast. Um, the my Morris Hamilton was talking about it. Um, so I just don't see I don't I don't see where he's going to be able to if he doesn't fit now and he hasn't fitted it last year apart from like our race I um I just don't see where it's going to come right for him now. Well, I, no, I, I think, don't, I I think don't want to see this. Well, I think what Zach Brown meant was next year he wants Lando levels of performance from him. I no, I think he meant this year. Like the, I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't. I think it would be insane if he carries on this season the way he's going for McLaren to want him in the car next year. It would be mental because it, it because it's not. This isn't just a problem with. It's not just a problem that's happened. Oh, it's a problem that's happened over two separate formulas of Formula One now with McLaren. Like yeah. the whole like, whole thing last year was. Well, he's not getting on with that car. Uh, whole new car next year. Whole new car. Uh, old Daniel Ricciardo will be back. A whole new car comes around. He's still half a second behind Lando. You know, he, I mean, he's been on the on the verge. Did he did he go out in Q one in Silverstone? When did he go out in Silverstone? There was a, there was a thing where he was either he either went out in Q one or he was on the bubble of going going out in Q one. And Lando was in the top five. I remember that qualifying session well. I mean, it's it's if it wasn't Daniel Ricciardo, and everybody likes Daniel Ricciardo, we would be fucking roasting him. Quite quite right, yeah, and we would if it was Alex Albon at uh, Red Bull, for example. Or um, if it was Alex Albon doing that to Latifi. Yeah, well, we say the same thing about Latifi because Latifi was put in his place by Russell. Yeah, uh, last year. And yeah, he, now, he got um, he got through Q one. He finished fourteenth in Q one and fourteenth in Q two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't oh, know. And thirteenth and thirteenth like, in the race. McLaren aren't 
where they want to be at the moment. And the only reason I can think that they might hold off on changing drivers for a year is because they maybe think that they need to change. It's going to take time to change, and it's not going to be maybe for a couple of years before they're back to where they were, say, last year, year before that maybe, where they're fighting for podiums when, when a team has a bad race. I think there's something fundamental about the way McLaren goes about building racing cars that doesn't get on with um, Daniel Ricciardo's style of driving. Yeah, well, there is. Yeah, the, and, the, and yeah. that is, you referenced the race before. There is a fantastic, uh, it was um, Scott Mansell, I think I mentioned it on last week's pod, about the, uh, he's done a video. Why does that? I, I haven't Ricardo's watched it yet. Is it good? Yeah, it is good, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, why, why does Ricardo struggle? And the, he explained why Daniel Ricardo's driving style doesn't work for McLaren and how it's so difficult for him to adapt to how the McLaren works. Mm. Um, and it appears that Lando Norris is just one of his strengths is adapting very quickly. Yeah. See, the, the, the issue you've got is you can't, with the, with, with the performances that Ricardo has been putting in, you can't put all your eggs in Ricardo basket and go, right, we're going to solve this issue, change how we go about building racing cars to make the car easier for Daniel Ricciardo to build because you, you've no, no that's, that's guarantee. That's not what they're doing, is it? I mean, they're no. nowhere near where they want to be, though. McLaren no, no, are falling backwards. But I, I don't think that it's not because they're not falling backwards because of this problem Ricardo's got. Because the gap's still there. The, the both cars are sliding back into the field. Don't get me wrong. But the but gap the, between uh, the cars is still there. It's still the same. Um, yeah, I, I just can't see it. See it. I can't see him still being in the car next year. I, 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 I hope he can find a drive. The idea, the, the idea that how I mean, how old is he? What thirty-two? I think. Yeah, I think uh, that's, yeah sounds about right. Yeah, um, the idea that the guy that looked like we could have a Australian world champion when he was in Red Bull beat Sebastian Vettel at the time, the mo where uh, the fight four-time world world champion indestructible to some extent for years, Sebastian Vettel beat him out of Red Bull. Um, and then to see what's happened to him since those years, you know, I mean, he was, he, he probably would have like ended up with, with Max seriously getting on top of him. I think uh, that Ricardo would still be closer to Max than Perez is. Um, the idea that we've gone from that to a, couple of mediocre years in Renault then a move to McLaren which has been an absolute disaster to the point that this guy's 32 should essentially be in the absolute prime of his racing career and he might not be on the grid next year that's bonkers yeah it is absolutely bonkers because he's a great driver but he's just he's not he's not extracting his maximum or not able to extract the maximum that he possibly could from that McLaren. Maybe the McLaren move, as good as it looked at the time, just hasn't worked out for Daniel. And I do wonder if this uh, Colton Herter test to get him the mileage for uh, an FP1, because don't forget, all Formula 1 teams have to put, uh, in inverted commas, a young driver, I mean, Colton Herter's still, what, 22, 23? Um, Let's put young driver in, 
uh, two FP ones, is it, Paul? Did you yeah, say before? Yeah, it's two FP ones. Although um, um, Alpha Romeo don't because they because had... Cubits is eighty three. Well, no, they had the Lupo Le Grand Uge, Uge Grand U. It's t- um, they had to have two FP ones contested by a driver that hasn't done more than two Grand Prix. Well, they did that at the beginning of the season. They then, did that at they? the beginning of the season, so Alfa Romeo don't have to do it, and um, that's why Alfa Tori didn't have to do it last year with Sonoda. Yeah. Okay, so this is McLaren probably getting ready to put Colton Herter in a Formula One, just in a, just in an FP1 more than anything, I would think. Um, would we think it would be in Circuit of the Americas? Because that's where he won his IndyCar race, wasn't it? Where when he was like, how old was he? Like. 16 or something ridiculous like that when he won. No, it can't have been that long ago. They've got to do two FP1s, haven't they? So one in each, one in each car. Like Someone's got to run once in Lando's car and someone's got to run once in Daniel Ricciardo's car. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I, Circuit of the Americas would make sense. I think that'll be his second go. <clears throat> Colton Herter was 18 when he won his first, his first IndyCar race at, in, at Circuit of the Americas. Circuit of the Americas would make sense, um, followed um, the next week by Pato Award doing FP1 at um, Mexico. Maybe. It would shift some merch. I don't think they'll do two, the two drivers. I think Hurst will get two goes. I think you'll get an FP1 before, uh, depending on how this test goes. If this test goes well, I think he'll get a FP1 before the summer break. And then over the summer break, I think there's going to be all sorts of contract contract negotiations with Daniel Ricciardo, where Daniel Ricciardo probably wants to get out of his contract, but wants to do it in a way that's favorable to him. Yep. Now, uh, the, now the, prob- the problem is... Um... I think just about every indie weekend clashes with an F1 weekend um, between now and Singapore. Right. Maybe then. Maybe maybe it will be after the summer break then. Maybe. Maybe. maybe, But I've got a feeling that you're going to have him in a Formula One car before America and then his... His second go once he's when he's had some more more running in the car yeah. in in the US. I think the only the only weekend there isn't a clash is Belgian Grand Prix weekend, and that is not the place for a rookie test. Do you want do you want some conjecture from the mind of of Chris over here? I did just refer to myself in the third person. Yes, he did. <laughs> I would think the the only the only argument I can think of to back up Lee's suggestion there is that they would announce Colton Herter as a McLaren F1 driver at Circuit of the Americas. For next year? Yes. That's the Possibly. only thing I can think of. If they, you know, if they're genuinely looking at Colton Herter as a Formula 1 driver... Mm. Um, for a Formula One seat, as a, I mean, right now, it's probably just a possibility. There's, there's probably very little behind it. I mean, he hasn't got um, he hasn't got the super license points. Nobody, he can get them by doing the mileage that he's doing at the moment. He, and would, then doing he would also he would also need um, a 
top four finish in IndyCar this season, and at the moment he's tenth. Is on these points though? Aren't they with concession? Have haven't we already been told that this is not a hard and fast rule, and that the 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 super license point position can be negotiated if if someone falls slightly short. Ex- yeah, there's the it's like an extenuate extenuating yeah. circumstances yeah. or something along yeah. those lines. Yeah, um, you know, it it can, the rules can be um, can be rewritten on the fly, but I think I, they probably will be. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just a question of where he finishes in Indy this year. I mean, he's tenth. Don't get me wrong. He's got um, you know, he's got he's got a win. That's that's what I mean. I do, I don't think even even if he doesn't manage to get himself. In the in the top four in IndyCar, if McLaren want him in that car, he'll be in that car. But mm, I don't know. I, don't I think know. I think it's more, it's a rule to keep people out that shouldn't be there. I think that's the thing. It's yeah. it's, it's to stop people getting in that shouldn't be there, not to stop, not to keep people out that are capable of being there. I mean, not right. We're never, we're never going to see the likes of um, Ricardo Rossi or Taki Inui in uh, F1 again. Or UGE day, and that's no. a good thing. Oh God, yes. Yeah. Um, so, no, do you know what? I'll, I'm going that. I reckon uh, if Belgium doesn't doesn't um, uh, doesn't clash with an indie weekend, I think he'll take FP1 for um, Lando Norris at, in, at Belgium. You That'd be the, brave, yeah. being that Lando's half Belgian. I was going to say a bit the half Belgian Lando Norris. Yeah, but the guy that's the guy that can get on with that is gonna not suffer as badly through having an uh, missing an FP one, and I, I, yeah, I know he's I know he's half Belgian, but it's 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 it, it, it's not it's not like the Belgian flags being waved for Lando Norris. Um, no, he's got a following though in Belgium. But I think you'll I think they'll want Ricardo and Herta. Back to back in FP one. Yeah, that's a good point. They might want that mm. just before just before the summer break as well. No, Bel- it could Bel- be just, Belgium's, just the so... end, Belgium's the end of the summer break. Um, the other th- other thing could be Ricardo might just not want to drive for McLaren next year. It might not be a case of being sacked. He might not be happy with being there. You know, he's he's a he's a fucking competitive fucking animal. I mean, none of us, anyone that's competitive. I, 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 I fucking hate like losing at stuff or or doing really badly at things. I hate doing badly at things. God knows what he must feel like. He's a multiple race winner. Don't forget, there's the, we're still talking about the idea, possibility of uh, Sebastian Vettel retiring at the end of the season. He walked out of the drivers' briefing and got a hefty fine for it. It's been suspended. I was going to say, oh, got a hefty suspended fine. Um, yeah, for the rest of the year. But he walked out, yeah, apparently huffing and puffing and saying, this is ridiculous, I've been talking about these things for 15 years, and then just walked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems, it seems to be the new thing with um, race control and the stewards. Suddenly, and the FIA in general, suddenly starting to impose all these rules that have actually been on the books all along. Um, there, was the, there was the case this weekend in Park Ferme where um, all the top three were given a suspended €10,000 fine because they had contact with their personal assistants or trainers before they'd been weighed. Now, that always happens. 
But this time, they got called to the stewards for it. It's new boss syndrome, isn't it? Well, I think the the main problem that Vettel had was it was which boss have we got this week? Because it's down yeah. to the inconsistency. Because don't forget, we've got two race directors. Well, I'd they're like supposed to, to work out. together, though, aren't they? Um, they're supposed to, but uh, mm. in Vettel's opinion, they aren't doing. I'd like to point out that before, uh, after Abu Dhabi, um, I, I like in the in the Fallout podcasts of what happened there. I was strongly in, like of the opinion, and still am, that they shouldn't have got rid of Messi. Uh, he's he'd had a rough run and he made a terrible decision in the last race. That can't you can't go without that. But 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 the thing is, just because it's like a politician, isn't it? You could fucking hate the politician that's running your country. I but and the the minute that you get this big big old push of like we must get him out, or everybody forgets the fact that the next person might be just as bad or worse. And right now, I think a one-person race director like we had was the best situation we had. And I don't know about you guys, but if I learn more from doing things wrong than I do from getting things right. The, like the fucking baptism of fire Messi had last year. Yeah, but like, he got a lot of things wrong a lot oh, of the he, time. He did, and then that was just the icing on the cake. He did was, get a lot of things Abby. wrong. But I, do, I still think they should have kept him on. Kept him on fuck up again, yeah, rid, rid, but it should have been a fresh season, right? Let's move forward with this because now it's all up in the fucking air. You know, it's you've got Formula One wanting to wanting to drop the FIA altogether now, and it's nobody fucking knows what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, having having a single race director and a cons- consistently applied set of rules would yeah. uh, make life a lot better. It's so, it's so, it's not, I'm sorry, it's not easy because, I mean, realistically, race directors, especially people to the point of, uh, so where you, where you could do it for Formula One, are not easy to come by. That, you know, that's why was it, who, what was it, what was the, Charlie Whiting, wasn't it, was a race director for years yeah. before him. You know, it's the, like, and he was in that job a long time to build up the experience he had and the respect and rapport he had on, with the drivers as well. Um, but it, it just it baffles me. It baffles me why we can't have a single race director, three race stewards, every race. Same people. Like, keep them away from the media, completely away from the media. I'm glad we can't radio them anymore. That was fucking stupid. I actually think most of uh, Messi's problems came from constantly being on the phone to fucking Christian Horner or Toto Wolf. He was race director. He wasn't. He never stewarded any decisions, like giving penalties or anything like that. No, no. But he was still. He's still uh, on the phone when he's trying to do his job, and you're getting live fucking tally broadcasts with yeah, Total Wolf shouting at the race director. Yeah, we're repeating what we said last November, uh, December. But the um, yeah, that, that didn't help having them no. broadcast on TV. No. But should we rattle through this? Race, yeah, let's do it, yeah, quickly because, uh, yeah, yeah, and we do because uh, we do have an interview coming up as well. With um, well, should we do that now? Should, do, you want, do you want to do that now? An interview with um, can we say the one of the most exciting young drivers around at the moment? I think so, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, a chap called Cameron Hawes, he um, took part in the first Electric Racing Academy race this weekend in what's effectively an, elec- an electric Formula 4. Um... I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to spoil it. Listen, listen to the interview. But um, the the main spoiler is he only went and won it. So here's a chat with um, Cameron that we had a little bit earlier. Right, and um, in another of the occasional three legs four wheel series of up and coming drivers, we are joined this week by Cameron Hawes. Cameron, thank you so much for uh, for joining us, and uh, you've had a particularly successful weekend just gone. I have. Thank you for having me to start off with. Um... It, it's been it's been great to catch up with you guys uh, for over a few a few months now, um, but yeah, it's it's been a it's been a good weekend. I think I think that's the least we can say. <laughs> so, would you like to tell uh, tell everyone um, basically? Well, the story from was it Thursday? Uh, it was Thursday, yeah. So um, on Thursday evening, I was just about to go on a cycle. Um, and I got this phone call uh, from one of my one of my main and very good sponsors, and also a good friend of mine, um, Frank Murray, who runs Path Classics. Um, they sell classic car parts uh, pretty much all okay. around the world, and have really good relations in in the UK and in France. So um, uh, I've known him since I started racing, and he's always supported me. So it's been it's been brilliant. Um, but anyway, he called me uh, and said, "Look." Uh, He'd already spoken to me about the ERA Championship, which is the brand new uh, electric single-seater academy with, um, obviously, electric cars uh, with Formula 4 chassis. So it was it's a big opportunity. It's a, They run with ETCR. It was, it's something that you, if you have the opportunity, you don't say no, pretty much. Um, so immediately he said, we're looking for a driver. Is it possible that you can, you can come down? And I said, 100%. I will be there. We're leaving now. So we left straight away at 11 o'clock uh, with my dad in the van. And um, it took us nine hours to get down to Zolder. And wow. when we got down to Zolder, uh, we arrived at around 8.30. Um, and it was sort of, here are your passes, get in the circuit, start talking. So we, we start, I started speaking to the whole of the ERA team, who were absolutely excellent from the first minute we got there. Um and yeah, it kind of just evolved from there. It was, it was an amazing weekend. Um, obviously, the ERA Championship is in still in heavy development, uh, sort of to the point where the cars were, they had some issues during practice, and it was it was very, um, what's the word? It was very complicated to sort of get all of the cars out on track without any issues. It, was, it wasn't complicated. It was impossible. You can't have a car that's just been built to go out on track and just say, yeah, it will work, because it doesn't. These cars are full of software. They use 4G for data. Everything gets sent up to the cloud. It's cutting-edge technology for a junior series, which is just something that is unheard of. And it's new for everyone. It's new for the drivers. It's new for the mechanics. It's new for the engineers. It's new for the software company. For the charges, for the batch, everything that goes behind it is brand new. So it we knew it was going to be a little bit of an issue going into Friday and into Saturday. Um, so the first Friday practice session didn't run um, because there were just there was just some issues on the cars that would have taken too long to fix. Uh, just software issues, not uh, any any hardware. So 
yeah, it's just little things that you plug in and, and you fix on a computer. Um, so we came out Saturday afternoon and uh, we had a few issues with power. Um, and then, uh, sorry, Friday afternoon, we had a few issues with power. And then Saturday, uh, we had two more 40 minute practice sessions where obviously overnight, everything got so much better. The every session that we did, we we gained so much data and we gained so much uh, possibility for the cars and everyone learned some more about it. So it was very interesting to just see how the cars evolved from there. Um, going into obviously Saturday all day, it was very good. We got some really promising running on Saturday afternoon mm -hmm. um, on the free practice four, which is where I started getting to use to the car. Um, and I started pushing the limits just a little bit because I'd never driven at Zolder and I've never driven an electric car or a single seater. So as you can imagine, it was, it was all new for me. Um, then going on to Sunday, we had one qualifying session, which was 30 minutes and then a race that was 15 minutes plus one lap. Uh, so during, uh, Saturday evening, we decided that we were going to turn the power of the cars down to 80% instead of hundred percent because the car batteries wouldn't it because we were running without regen because that's a whole other story um regen is basically when you come off the throttle the, the it sort of regenerates the power into the batteries so it basically stops it's like braking it's it's very difficult to get used to so we would have had to run it from free practice one and test days and it was just we turned the power down so we had to still save battery during the race but we didn't have to like have issues with the cars um the cars were easy to handle um but we had new tires on on sunday morning in qualifying so hence why a few of us spun um and we also had to manage the power because warming the tires up you have to put energy into the car and once you put energy into the car that's energy you're not going to have on your push lap and you can't charge mid mid session, so you okay. had to kind of warm your tires up and your brakes up slowly, uh, which is what the pulse sitter did, Ellis uh, Spietzer. Um, he did five laps, just running really, really slowly, and then pushed for one. He had more power than all of us, and um, he he got pole uh, by over a second. So it was that's how we had to do it. But there was never ever a qualifying session where we had to actually do that. So my strategy was go out, push really, really hard which didn't work at all because on new tires with instant power and instant torque, you will just rotate. You will end up the other way and it was, it just doesn't work. And then, so yeah, I qualified P2 on, on Saturday, which I was very happy with. And then the sort of the mind game started uh, with all of the drivers, which is, which is just racing. Racing is now just mind games and strategy more so in electric racing and yeah, we got into the race and I started second. Um, and I just, I just remember having to manage the power all race. I just thought I need to have enough power at the end. And my goal, my plan originally was to sit behind Ellis or the leader, whoever it was, and just save power and then push at the end in case I needed it just to be safe. And then I got a really good start and decided, no, I'm just going to control this race. So I sat at the front. And uh, I was letting people pass because when letting people pass, they have to push to get past you, which meant they were using just a little bit more power. Mm -hmm. And it was mainly Ellis that was trying to get past me. Um, and that's why on the uh, back end of the last lap, Ellis actually ran out of ran out of power. 
um, ran out of battery. So it was it was interesting. It was very very interesting to to kind of manage that race because it's completely different from from racing with uh, a combustion engine because combustion engine racing you just go flat out for 25 minutes and here you have to you really have to manage your power you ended up winning the race i did end up winning the race i still don't know how i did it and it was a very very tight gap at the end it was less than a tenth of a second um it was about half of a tenth of a second actually so so yeah it was it was very interesting and it was very exciting and uh yeah i i really enjoyed it and i again just i'd like to thank everybody that put me in that seat um obviously frank from path did the the unspoke he called me first which is i i still can't get my head around why <coughs> there's well, also well, the I, era I think, um i think getting on the top step of the podium it kind of justifies the decision yeah i mean yeah i that's what people were saying to me but i <laughs> i still don't think i deserve that seat i mean there are so many good drivers out there who who would have done as well as me if not better and I I just did what I was told and it worked. So it just shows how much help engineers and teams and mechanics behind you can can really really help. I, ERA team were absolutely fantastic. I had a mechanic assigned to me, so it was Lucas and Roberto. Um, Roberto was a junior or well, is a, was is a junior mechanic who um, who yeah is is just excellent in every way. As soon as I wanted something, he was there, and as soon as as soon as there was just one little thing it was roberto can you look at this and it was, yeah sure straight under the car looking at it um i asked if they could check the floor after qualifying um and he lifted the car up within five minutes and checked and he was yeah that's all good and he was just an amazing so the whole of the ra team uh beth as well beth uh actually started this championship and beth was just um brilliant in i uh, to give me that a possibility to actually drive one of her cars is was just outstanding and I, I can't thank Beth, Dieter, just everybody, anybody enough. It was it was amazing. Oh that is um that is great. Now you say it's it's a world of difference from driving a normal combustion engine car. Um could you go into a few more specifics of how um how it's different? Is it different levels of torque, different um different grip? Does it behave differently in the corners, for example? Um yeah, so explain like we're five. Oh, then again, we are, aren't we? <laughs> um, the the cars have so much mechanical grip, so the downforce does help, but you can definitely feel the difference when you move the downforce. Um, and also the rake. So rake is sort of level from the back to the front, and the difference. Um, so yeah, the the cars have so much mechanical grip that you can chuck them into corners, and you know they're going to stick. Um, obviously the downforce has to help with that. And I felt I was on the limit because I just pushed from the get-go and found where that was going to slide. And then I just drove it like that the whole time. Um, so yeah, it, it was very interesting to sort of try and find that limit. The, the braking is just phenomenal. Like the car weighs 700 kilos. So the car stops extremely quickly. It's all of the cars are the same. So they all have to there's no there's data in every single car so all of the cars will actually they'll just run the same um there's there's no difference at all and you can check if there's a difference with every single bit of data when the maximum power how much battery you had at the start 
just everything. Everything is possible. Everything is open. So it was, it was really good to see just how level everything is and how open the championship is to just giving out that data and giving out those cars power limits and things like that. Also, another thing which is really important is the energy management. Now, I keep saying this, but it is I can't stress how important energy management is. Uh, Alex Sims actually came down, uh, Alexander Sims from Formula E. Yeah. Um, and he explained how much energy management is important in Formula E. And we explained how much, how more, how more important it is in here because we don't have regen. Um, and it, it's just, it's I can't even explain or begin to explain how how much you have to save. I mean, ten percent of extra power is fifty percent more battery heat or motor heat even. So when you're sort of pushing. On a straight, we're we're actually eighty percent throttle because there's no point pushing at twenty thousand RPM to then try and get that five kilometers an hour extra, but use um, probably a lap's worth of of battery in probably a lap. So, that's why your man ran out of. Why well, that's why he ran out of battery. Ellis, did you exactly. say his name was? Yeah, Ellis. Yeah, Ellis Bietza, uh, who was who was actually the development driver, ran out of battery because of this. I think. Um, he was trying to push to get past me. It looked like he was trying to push to get past me. Sorry, uh, all of the time, and yeah, it was. It was interesting to see how all of the other cars were sort of working, um, and how, what their strategies were. Like Milan, who was just behind us, decided to sit behind us all race and gain power, and he easily had another lap of power at the end of the race. So just by not fighting, you can gain so much more power. And I was on the limit. I ran out of power through the final chicane. Um. So yeah, it was it was really interesting to see how everybody's strategy works, and the cars is just completely different. They're, you can't even compare it to a uh, a car with an engine or with a uh, an internal combustion engine. And of course, that final chicane at Zolder does lead lead onto a bit of a straight, so you need a good exit from there. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm going on my previous sim racing experience here. If I sound like I know what I'm talking about, it's all been done on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sim racing is one of the best ways to actually learn tracks. Now, um, it's I'd say it's free, but it's not. No, it isn't. But it is. <laughs> I mean, you can get a sim racing rig, which isn't free. But what I mean is, if you wanted to actually drive the track, you'd have to have car, tires, fuel, and pay for the track day. Sim racing is probably the price of the, the tires. It is so much cheaper and you can learn the track now it's not completely the same like in sim racing you don't feel the negative g going over villeneuve uh the villeneuve crest however it is <laughs> i sim racing is now the way forward it is the future it is like these cars you need to sim race to learn the tracks and that is how you're going to gain the time yeah, and it's the closest drivers... way to closest thing you can do to be to, to actually being there yeah, exactly. There's no driver will ever get in a car now without actually learning the track on a sim. And if they do, I think that they they won't be up front. They, if they are, I'd like to see them because you are the they're, second they're you are the second driver. person on this podcast to say that, and you're in damn good company because the last person to say it was actually Johnny Herbert. Well, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, Johnny Herbert was talking about young drivers, wasn't he, and how they. Um... 
how they all use uh, you know games and then sim racing. How they stepped up through that. Is that how you stepped up into racing, or is that you know did you just sort of jump in a cart a few years ago and decide it's what you wanted to pursue? So um, I come from uh, a sort of background of cars, uh, but not racing. So we never really did circuit racing. We never did karting. We never had the money to do karting because karting is very, very expensive. Um, uh-huh. Karting is more expensive than actually racing cars. Um, so I did sim racing. I started about five years ago now on Forza. And then we caught, sort of worked our way. I worked, well, I say we, I worked my way up through sort of iRacing, ATC, things like that. I bought a computer. Um, and yeah, I sort of got more, more and more serious about it. And then once I'd learned that I could actually get into a race car from 16, I thought that's what I need to do. So um, we we spoke to Frank, who helped us out massively with with sort of getting the cars ready from Path Classics, and we bought a Golf Mark II. And as soon as I got in that car, my first race, I got a podium. It wow. was, as I said, sim racing is the the future. That's how you learn cars and tracks. I learned how to drive a front wheel car, front wheel drive car, from sim racing. I learned how to drive around my first track which was Dijon from sim racing so everything I did was was sort of through there and as soon as you get into the car you know how to race because sim racing is I'd argue more difficult than actually racing because you don't have that feel I call it a seat of pants feel but it's basically when you slide on sim racing you feel it through the wheel when you slide in a real car you feel it through your butt so it's it's adding more when you're actually racing adding more feelings adding more things in the car and it just makes it so much easier well after our sim racing day on saturday um which i want to thank the sim center for again uh lee chris there's hope for us all yet <laughs> there's no hope for me let's be honest i mean the, <laughs> the only the only one i was good at was where the racing line the one with the racing line was on you still and got that's, the, let's be honest you still got the fastest time out of all of us around the Norge life well, yes, I did. It took yeah. me 10 yeah. minutes to get my knees past the steering column in the Formula One. Car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I got in. I got in fine. It was cramped. There is but, photographic yeah, proof of you being in. I'm, I'm not a small person, and I'm just under six foot two, and I crammed myself in a Formula Two car, not thinking that when I had to try and get out, there, there might not be a possibility of this. Yeah. <laughs> Back to uh, back to ERA. Is that is is that looking to the championship? Is that looking to be like a like a feeder series to Formula E? Uh, what's the future for for ERA and sort of the you know more electric junior formulas? Has that been spoken about this weekend, or is it you know just sort of what this is its own its own single thing at the moment? So, from what I can understand, ERA is looking to bridge the gap which is needed from sort of electric karting to Formula E. Because you can't go from electric car to a Formula E car. It is impossible. So they're looking to fill that sort of gap with a junior series. It's called Electric Racing Academy. So it really is people can turn up and drive electric cars um, internationally, around, around the whole world. It's, mm-hmm. it is very, it's a good idea, and it's a very good concept, and they're doing it right, which is not really that often from races uh, races nowadays. You don't really get fixed championships where people can't really touch setup and they always have an engineer and a, a mechanic with them at all times. So I think, well, I don't think, I know that they're trying to achieve that 
that sort of bridged gap from electric karting to Formula E? I mean, I mean, obviously, with the increases in um, sustainable fuel technology, then there's always, you know, there's always going to be a um, there's always going to be a place for internal combustion engine based racing. But um, if motorsport doesn't embrace the new technologies like electric cars, then um, it become you know it becomes its own dinosaur, and there's um, there's no reason why. Um, We'll call it traditional racing and electric racing can't can't coexist side by side. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I, I mean, so, sorry, I couldn't agree more. But the electric racing is obviously just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's never ever going to get smaller. And I think people should should. I, I, I'm inviting you to watch electric racing if you never have, or if you say I don't want to watch electric racing because electric cars are rubbish. They're not. They. It is. It is new technology. And yes, the racing is very, very close. And yes, the cars have problems. But once we get through those issues, and once the, every race, every electric racing series gets through those issues, I think there will be it will be racing like we've never seen before. Well, it was it was actually down to the first um, first Formula E race in the first season that three legs four wheels started. It was, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, we, yeah. We watched that race and decided we were going to start a racing blog. Wow. Which turned into a podcast. <laughs> so yeah. So what what's next for you then, Cameron? What what where where are you aiming? What what's your what's your next step? And what's your what's your ambition? Where where is where does the story top out for for Cameron Hawes? Well, it's not what you know; it's who you know, and it's we we're running out of money to race. Um, racing is expensive. It is very expensive now uh, in this day and age. And it's it's a struggle. It's a real struggle to kind of do what you want to do now. Um, I've always wanted to race four wheels. That has always been my thing. Um, so hopefully, if if all goes well, I can I can get back into the the ERA car. Um, that would be the ideal opportunity. And I I really just want to get back in the car and help them develop this new series. Because I think the ideas behind it are are amazing. I think the ideas that they have and the more the potential that this series has is is just astonishing. Like things that we were were said behind the scenes, I I can't really mention, but things that were said uh, about the cars, um, having more information on the dashboards and uh, all of just all of the data by four G. I mean, if you'd have said that three years ago, that would have been you'd just be laughed at. So I think th this series, the ERA series has so much potential and I want to stick with them. However, the ERA series is an arrive and drive concept and it doesn't run for free. Um, you do need money to race in the ERA series uh, as it is. You need money to race in any series now. Um, so there always needs to be funding behind it. And the way you get that funding nowadays is just either you get very, very lucky or you you don't really, uh, or you have the money behind you. Uh, so I'm going to finish this season in the golf, in my golf mark two that I race in France. I'm going to carry on with my, with my golf and, um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens in the coming months, but, 
That's very level-headed of you, especially mm-hmm. for, for a young man who literally just stepped inside the first single-seater race you, you've ever done and went and won it, uh, beating that very development driver. So, um, yeah, don't play yourself down. Uh, that's... Uh, that's that's something seriously impressive, and if you if you get a chance to get you know use that as a springboard into you know further successes, then you know absolutely take every opportunity you can. Um, he says, sat in his chair in the house <laughs> in Douglas. <laughs> but but on a but on a serious point, um, if anybody wants to get in touch uh, with Cameron to discuss sponsorship, get in touch through us, and we will hook you up because. You never, you never know who's listening to this, and yep. you're saying it's, you know, it's you've either got, you've either got the money backing you or not. Um, you know, let's um, let's see if basically we can crowdsource it. Yeah, that that is really kind of you guys, and thank you to all of you. It's I've had Frank from Path uh, from the start, and I there is there is no longer a way that I can thank him enough for everything that he's done. Um. However, the more people that you can sort of bring into motorsport and bring into the future, because this is the future, this is what motorsport is going to be, in my opinion, and the more people I can sort of bring into this world and introduce to electric racing, I think the better it is going to be for for everybody. Uh, And yes, maybe during this weekend, I was the quickest and I adapted the best to the car, or you can say what you want, but... The drivers in that series are also very, very quick. The drivers that were there were very, very good, and they were very, very good at what they were doing. And I can't say anything else about them. They did the exact same thing as me. They gave feedback that was better than mine, and I learned from them. Um, However, I got given a strategy by the amazing ERA engineers and the team, and everyone got given the same strategy, and I, I just executed that the way that I thought was best. And that's the only reason that I won that race. Um, I think if I had to do it again, I'd do it completely differently. And yeah, all I did was listen. All I did was listen to all of the mechanics mm-hmm. and all of the engineers. Um, was part of it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the quickest driver there was actually, the guy that set the fastest lap was actually down in P6 or P7. So it just shows that either you can push during the race and set the fastest lap or you can save energy i decided to go on the save energy side and just have a just have a few battles and i was there to have fun i got invited to to join this amazing series that i thought was just going to be me getting into the car and just driving i never ever thought that i would now be sat with my phone buzzing with people mentioning me on instagram and basically rewriting history for the first race in ERA to have a, a young driver actually win it is something that's really big for, for me personally, but also really big for them. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. So, yeah, I it wasn't just me that made that race. It was actually everybody else around me and everybody else that was there. And also, I'd like to thank Ellis, because if it wasn't for Ellis, Ellis wouldn't have that there would be no development behind this and ellis gives he's an amazing driver he gives amazing feedback he gives amazing just everything he does is sort of top notch and he he can give feedback corner by corner which is what something i'm noticed during this weekend 
So yeah, it's there's there's no words for how I felt in that car because I glued to it quite well. I feel, but it wasn't just me. It was it was the team. I was just there to have fun. So, and I did. But whatever happens when um, when the history of the championship is written, when it's race one, season one, it's your name that was at the top. Yes. Also, I have just had a quick look at the results, and the fastest lap, uh, the guy who got it was in fifth place, the incredibly named Michelangelo Amendola. Yes. <laughs> it was, uh, he, he's also very, very good. He's, he's got some very good ideas. Um, it's a strong racing uh, driver's name as well. I mean, Michelangelo was a painter, I thought, but but yeah, he's, I thought he created the Christine Chapel, but... I thought it was the turtle. I was going to say that was that was that before the freelance crime fighting. <laughs> I'm going to move off this conversation before I get banned. Um... <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Cameron. Um, it's been great, and we will we will look out for your um, your career with great interest. Uh, yeah. We'll also look out for the ERA Championship. Now, I believe there is another round coming up in a couple of weeks, and we're going to keep everything crossed that you can actually make that one. So, like I say, any offers of um, any offers of sponsorship, get in touch, and we will put you in touch with Cameron. Thank you. And I think they did. You say they stream all the races live on Twitch, and then the, then uh, you can watch them on YouTube about a day or two later. So yeah, all of the so they may not be on Twitch, but um, they were certainly on Facebook for this weekend. Uh, this weekend gone. Uh, so yeah, in two weeks we're going to Vallelunga in Italy. I say we. They're going to Vallelunga. Uh, hopefully I can join them. Um, I'd like to. <laughs> but all of the races will be streamed live somewhere. Um, it's all on their uh, Twitter and their Instagram channel. So it's just ERA Championship. Um, and then, yeah, about a day later, the qualifying qualify, full qualifying goes up before the race. And then... Uh, the race goes up about a day later um, and all highlights will be on Eurosport as well. Oh, excellent. Well, I think I've seen um, the video of this weekend's race, so I will share a link to that on the um, on the website yeah. and on our socials on YouTube. so yeah. that um, people will be able to see. And talking of socials, what are you on the socials? So um, I'm on Instagram. I mainly use Instagram, which is um, just CameronHorse88. So um, you should be able to find me just by putting that in on your search bar. Um, I'm also on Twitter, which is CameronHWS88. But um, I mainly use Instagram um, for all of my racing escapades. Um, yeah, I'll um, I'll put a link. I'll put a link to those in the um, on the website as well, and uh, everyone will uh, get to follow your career with great interest. Yeah, thank you, and thank you guys for having me. It's been it's been good. No, it's um, it, the pleasure. The pleasure. pleasure is all ours, Cameron. We'll speak to you soon. Bye bye. Yeah, thank you. That was a real. That was a really good weekend for Cameron, and uh, I'm glad he came uh, came on the pod to share that with us. Yeah. If you if you didn't leave my burping, you know, you you don't even understand your way around a joke. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, that's for the Christmas tape. We don't do Christmas tapes, do we? Tapes? Who does tapes? Yeah. All right, the Christmas the Christmas MP3. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. You can find this on our mini disc. Yeah, I'm old. I'll send it out on a wax cylinder. <laughs> <laughs> With a papyrus. <laughs>
Um, right, where were where were we? Austria, the Austrian Grand Prix, the Austrian Grand Prix. Um, one thing that we did notice about this this weekend, and it happened a lot in F two as well, were track limits were being bloody rigidly enforced. Yeah, so the, we've got the teams from the back to the front as we traditionally do on this podcast, but the the positions it's so difficult to try and keep a hold of who actually finished where. Um, because of the uh, the penalties, effectively, and try you want to try it in F two. The guy that crossed the line fourth ended up winning four hours after the race was over. Oh my god! And Roberto Mary finished third, but actually fifth. No, f- crossed the line second, then fifth, then third. Right. Okay. Uh, they had Oprah as a guest steward. You, know, you get five seconds, you get five seconds, everyone gets five seconds, apart from Daruvula, who got 20. Anyway, Alf, talking, of, talking of young Red Bull drivers, Alpha Tori. Yes, they are first team. Remember last week we were saying they're slipping backwards. Well, technically speaking, they both finished the race, but they're the back, right at the back of the list. Little bit participation awardy. Um, yes, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, Gasly in 15th, Sonoda in 16th. Um, the hell was that? That was, that was Sean opening the kitchen door. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. at their home track. I mean, they, you know, they, they make a big thing about, oh, we're at the Red Bull ring, let's, let's, do, some, let's do some wacky stuff. Um, maybe they should have concentrated on um, making the car a bit quicker and getting around faster. Well, I think Red Bull did some crazy stuff, didn't they? I didn't see Alpha Tari doing anything, but... <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. It's poor qualifying, poor race. Yeah, I mean it's it's one. Of, it's one Gasly of... was one of the first drivers, wasn't he, to get a penalty? Yes, yes, he was. Um, I mean, if we have a look in, because don't forget, there's kind of two kind of two races to cover because we've got the sprint. Um, I can't remember the sprint. That was Saturday. Yeah, um, Sonoda came seventeenth, and Gasly came fifteenth. So. It was. It just wasn't. It just wasn't there at all this weekend. Um, qualifying for the sprint or the qualifying qualifier Q three or God knows, don't know what you call it. I mean, Gasly slipped down from tenth. Um, yeah, as I say, I think their car's just going backwards. Mm. I think they said something about um, they they feel out of step with updates, like, like from the cars that are around them. You know, they're, they're, and they're in like a, a reactionary phase as far as trying to trying to get the car to work. Yeah, it um, it definitely didn't uh, didn't pay off this weekend. And I think that's, no, and I think that's all you can all you can really say about it. Strange, isn't it? Yeah. At least, yeah. right. We, I'm going to keep saying this so we remember it for the off season. Like, the, the, we we stop thinking all of a sudden. That they're going to do the business for us. <laughs> they keep they keep honey trapping us every year with potential speed, and then just at the last minute, it doesn't happen. Yeah, it must be pretty grim now as well for um, uh, Pierre Gasly. You know, it's he's gone from like the highs he was on last year when he was doing so so well to. You know, you'd have thought he must have been on the shopping list for somebody, 
and now he's re-signed for Alpha Tauri. And uh, he's going to be stuck in the same sort of middling part of the grid next year, if not drop him further down if, the, if they can't recover from this quickly. Mm. Yeah, well, at least, I mean, the, there are teams behind him that seem to be struggling more, Aston Martin being one. Um, Sunday's result, Vettel in 17th and Stroll in 13th. Vettel retired from uh, retired from the sprint after his spin. Um, yeah, um, but then also finished last in the race because of... He got penalty too, if I believe, mm. if I remember correctly. Um, I think he spun as well in the race. And, too, and, there, was, and there was a spin. He left a bit of, um, bit of his front wing. But yeah, he was, um, he was the last one over the line in 17th. Or last one classified in 17th. <sighs> Biggest letdown of the year for me, Aston Martin. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they're just they're just, they're just not delivering. No, and, and I, another I, team that have, that have started okay and are just sliding back down the down the grid. It's almost exa- exactly the same thing that happened to Williams, which is really weird because it's almost exactly the same thing that happened to Williams when the Strolls got involved. Well, I was watching something today that actually um, it said that the start of Williams' decline was um, all caused by um, by Damon Hill leaving, because that's what made Adrian Newey leave. And then he goes to other teams and builds better cars. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna come to bat for Damon there. In that case, the the start of the decline for Williams was Williams not being not willing to pay Damon Hill where he deserved as a champion. Because um, that's yeah. where he left, wasn't it? Yeah, they, it was the it was a money issue while he left. Well, they didn't they didn't re-sign him, did they? They uh, well, the, yeah, the date they, came and went. Yeah, they just offered offered the seat to Frenson because they didn't think that Hill would ever win him a world championship. Hill, well, no, Hill. Um, Hill said it was because because he he wanted too much money. He was honest about it. He said like he said I wanted more money than Frank was willing to give me. I think this is going to be one of these six or one and a half a dozen of the other room. We'll, ne- we'll never know the full reasons behind it. Yeah, don't forget Williams had a good good spell with Juan Pablo Montoya, 2004, 2005-ish, mm-hmm. so about, you know, earlier than that. Uh, but yeah, a good good um, good spell with uh, Juan Pablo Montoya. Actually gave Schumacher a run for his money when Schumacher was winning all those championships. True. But going um, back to slagging off the strolls, anyone see the photo that Aston Martin tweeted from um, on the grid? I think it was Thursday. Possibly Thursday, the media day. They had the car, no. they had Daddy Stroll, and the entire team behind, and it just looks like the most miserable picture ever. Well, I'd be miserable if I worked for Aston Martin at the moment because it's not going well, is it? It really isn't. Um, no. A Seb checked out. Do we think? What phoning it in till the end of the season, a bit yeah. like Felipe Massa? <clears throat> yeah. Has he just? You know, I'm, I'm, I don't think that's his style. But I'm, I'm, dri- yeah, I I'm driving a shed. I don't, let's not forget he like he's had a. I mean, that car isn't where he's wanted to be, but he's had a couple of good drives this year. You know, like comparative to Stroll and stuff. Yeah, you know, he's he's not been spinny Seb. He's been pretty happy when he's been in interviews. He's not been sad. Um, yeah, he appears to have taken on role of sort of mentor of um, Mick, Mick Schumacher. Schumacher. Mm. Yeah, yeah. To, to the point where at Silverstone he was watching the race on the big screens. 
uh, which we saw a bit of that this weekend as well, didn't we? With um, was it George Russell watching Lewis Hamilton? Yeah, yeah, uh, in the sprint. Yeah, but it yeah, surprises it's... me when I first heard it. I think it was Jano Trulli first said that he was watching his teammate on the on the big screen. That uh, would have been Alonso, I think, wouldn't it? But again, another another non weekend for Aston Martin. I think I'm still standing by. It's only a matter of time before um, we get the announcement about Audi. I thought we were going to get the Porsche announcement with Red Bull this weekend as well, but that yeah. never happened. Mm. That's he was that there, wasn't odd. he? Wolfgang Porsche. He was at he was at the circuit. Oh, was he actually there? And I didn't uh, I didn't mm. see him, but I um, didn't get to see a lot of um, a lot of it uh, unless I was in a pub this weekend. The race was actually the first <laughs> session I watched at home. And that's still bad influence. Uh, Williams, Albin in twelfth, and Latifi in the garage. It's refreshing that Williams aren't the first team we're talking about. Mm, um, I... What happens to Latifi? He, I still, he still hasn't got the new car though. Was he not? I don't think. I don't no. think Albin had much of it this weekend either. No, he he had a new like he he was running all the new upgrades on the car again. Um, and Latifi doesn't get them until France, right? Um, it just says retirement, so I think they I think they just pulled the car in. Um, I Latifi retiring. I, I think it might have been um, picked up some damage, and it wasn't worth carrying on. Um, mm. same, same reasons as Perez. Oh yeah, but um, there was nothing. Well, he did, he, he he rarely troubles the scorers anyway. I'm being generous. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll give, he doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt, but that that new car looks handy for Williams. You know, it's it feels like it's dragging them towards the midfield. So I think that's gonna this that's probably gonna be the um, the test for Latifi, isn't it? If he gets a new car and Albon is like scratching around, getting himself out of Q3 and uh, into Q2 and scratching in the races, trying to nick a point or two off somebody, and Latifi is still second to last, then it's it, it clearly is time that that guy disappeared. Then the writing is definitely on the wall. I mean, Alban, yeah. Alban was fairly close to getting into, um, getting into Q2 this week. He was um, mm-hmm. less than a tenth off um, Mick Schumacher's pace. Schumacher was tenth with a one hundred six one, and one hundred six one five, and Albon was twelfth with a one hundred six two three. So, yeah, and everybody's it, thinking how great Schumacher did this weekend. So that's good. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, Al- Albon is getting a lot more out of that car than Latifi does, and I think it's it's showing Latifi up for the driver. That I'm, I'd say this every bloody week. Get rid of him. You you don't need the money now. Apparently, Joss, if you're listening, we know a good driver. Anybody? Yes, we do. We yeah. have some. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I really thought that Williams were going to get in the points, and I was, uh, I was a little bit gutted for Albon when he, um, when he lost out in 10th place. Uh, Alfa Romeo. Bottas in 11th, and Jogon Yu in 14th. Bottas, did, did he get a penalty in the sprint? You're asking all these questions, and I've not got any of the information in front of me. I've not actually prepared but, for anything tonight. It's been, but they were. It, it's been, it's been a torrid, um, torrid couple of days. Get well soon, Dad. 
Um, did yes. Bottas get the penalty in the sprint? I don't know. He finished tenth in it, so he was in a place to do better. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Um, but yeah, eleventh for Bottas, just outside the points. Guan Yu Zhou fourteenth, given that he nearly died a week earlier. I think. Mm. <laughs> oh, actually, yes, Bottas started from the pit lane, didn't he? Because they had to well, they changed the entire powertrain. Of course. Yes. There you go. I knew something had happened with Bottas. I just couldn't remember what. Yeah, I'd like to, apolo- yeah, so I'd like to apologize tonight. My, my brain is just not working. <laughs> no, no, nobody's brain is working. It's Monday. It's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, yeah. Uh, quiet race, but obviously Bottas did the job and got up to 11th, which is good considering he started from the pit lane. You must have one stop to that, I would have thought then. Hards straight onto mediums. Uh, let me just check the tire history. Now I've got the uh, now I've got the details open. Um, he did six laps on mediums, um, and zero laps on hards. And then that doesn't sound right. No, <laughs> Autosport, what are you doing? Yeah, six laps on mediums, zero laps on hards, and then thirty-one laps on hards. That doesn't add up to the race distance, but thank you, Autosport. Yeah, I think I'll check F1 for that. But, um, yeah, I think he, um, he, may, he may have more than one stopped, which I'll tell you in a second. Just just filling for time while I'm loading a page up. Damn slow internet. Um, let's have a look at the live timing on F1. That should give us tyre history. Here we go. Right, Bottas. Um... Okay, so there seems to have been some pro- kind of problem with tyre data. Because he says he did zero laps on there as well. Yes. Um, everybody's second tyres, apart from Max Verstappen, is showing... Okay. They all, um, after the first stop, um, not how many laps they did. Okay, I won't ask anything else about tyres for the <laughs> rest can, of the podcast. You can ask about Max's tyres, because they've got the full list of those, but they haven't got them for anyone else. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay. Oh wow. Um, so yes, Bottas started from the pit lane. Did um, did well to actually pull it up to eleventh. Uh, now, when you think about it, yeah, that way. Um, didn't quite have the pace to um, get by Alonso at the end. Um, finished one and a half seconds adrift of Alonso in eleventh place. Moving on next, um, McLaren. Now, we spent a lot of time slagging off Danny Rick, but he's got points at least. Yeah, I don't know if it was slagging off Danny Rick. I don't want everybody to think mm. that we're suddenly no. anti-Daniel Ricciardo. Well, but not slagging off, he's but just... stating a few home truths. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Danny got his third points finish of the season. That's... Which is a positive. Yeah. But that's, but that's I didn't realise he'd only had three points finishes. That's crazy. Yeah. And Lando has only had three non-points finishes. Out of 11 races, is that? Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, yes. How many DNFs has Ricardo had? Uh, one. Jesus. It's not, it's not what you want, is it? It's not the... Uh... Yeah. It's not the record. Yeah, the the both the both had one DNF, not in the same. Race. No, but, but but given that we we said before about McLaren sort of also suffering a little bit, like Aston Martin and AlphaTauri, sort of sliding backwards a little bit. Lee, you said that they stopped the development on the car already. 
yeah, double point, so double point finish range. halfway through the season is okay. I mean, Lando was did he ever take three cars in the space of two corners? Yeah. So you know he's still got that. He's still got the bit between his teeth. He's still he's still got that fight, which I think is lacking in drivers like. And I don't again not not being down on them here, but Sebastian Vettel, uh, Daniel Ricciardo, mm. uh, they don't have that youthful, you know, gritting of the teeth and just you know able to find a bit more when the going gets tough. Mm. I mean, Lando, it was a disappointing one more than anything because the last two Austrian Grand Prix, he's finished third. <laughs> yeah, well, they did say to him that he'd be, he, you and the, know, and the last you're looking two, for another... And the last two Styrian Grand Prix, he finished fifth. So consistency. Yeah. Yeah, but they did say to him on the grid, they said, are you looking for another podium? And he laughed and said, that would be nice, but no. Let, let's see if we can push up into the points. Because I think they started next to each other, didn't they? 14th, 15th? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. So it, for, for McLaren, to finish 7th and 9th. They moved forward in the race. That's positive. But looking at where they are with the teams that are ahead of them, they're probably not going to be happy with that. Uh, 11, started 11th and 12th, by the way. Oh, 11th and 12th. Finished 11th. Yeah, started the race 11th and 12th. Yeah. So yeah, not um, not the not the not the best of sprints, but um, made it up. And to be honest, I think that's roughly where McLaren should be. I I think um, I think this was going to be a tough track for them anyway, wasn't it? I think that they're going to be a circuit dependent car. I th- they they've got better races ahead of them. I. Yeah, at least at least up to the mid-season break, I think. Yeah, possibly, but we, it's the next two teams that are ahead of them in Austria, at least. Mm. But the, I think they'll be like, well, we we need to be ahead of both of those teams, or at least, you know, in yeah. between them. Um, I think maybe what makes it, makes them look even worse as well is the fact that uh, uh, um, Alpine have really come on. You know that that car has really come on. Mm. Sorry, I'm quoting Andrew Benson here. Um, I've just seen this. Um, McLaren are actually looking at options in case uh, Ricardo decides that he doesn't want to continue in F1. Yeah, Lee, yeah, you might well, be right. That's, yeah, that's what I meant before. You know, it's he's not going to be happy, is he, with with where he is? Hmm. Um, Alban and Vettel are already um, being talked about as well. For for McLaren, McLaren, mm. and and Piastri as well. I think they'll I think they'll promote from within if they can. But I mean, saying that there's no, there's nothing saying that they 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 might test IndyCar drivers and neither of them might be quick enough to, for what they want. You know, it's a, IndyCar drivers don't have what you call a huge level of success going from IndyCar to Formula One, do they? You know, it's, there's been standouts. There's been standouts, but the majority it doesn't seem to work. Um, you know, for every um, for every Mario Andretti, there's half a dozen Sebastian Bourdais. Yes. Yeah. And you've, uh... yeah. Half a dozen Sebastian Bordes is, is is putting it kindly, but yeah, you've got obviously the 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 notable one to be Montoya, Jacques Villeneuve, and that's it. <laughs> and Mario Andretti. Yeah, that's before I started watching. Um, but 
yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem to work the other way around. Um, Phil Hill. Phil Hill, I think, 1961 world champion. I think he did uh, the equivalent to IndyCar before he came to Formula One. Let's have a look. Um, no, he did sports cars. Ah, sports cars. I've got his his book somewhere, so clearly I need to reread that. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this is going back to the time when the Indy 500 was part of the World Championship, and there was a little bit of crossover, and the cars were more similar. Not not identical, but... No, no, because you had, obviously, Graham Hill, um, Jim Clark, um, of, of Formula One drivers who mm. won the Indy 500, uh, and probably lots of others that I can't call to mind right now. But yeah, the um, Indy to F1 route work, works less than it doesn't. Mm. Did I get that right? I'm, I'm dead good at England. <laughs> works less than it doesn't. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's, it's a strange it's way to say time, it. All the time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Now then, um, kind of NASCAR to F1, in a way, has. Great result for both drivers. Nosebleed territory. Second second consecutive double points finish for the team. Um, Best ever finish for Mick Schumacher. Yeah. Only a second the points team, finish, but sixth. The team go really well in Austria, generally speaking, anyway. They had their best finish there with Grosjean and Magnussen some years ago. Mm. So I don't know if it's how they... Maybe the team know how to set that car up for that circuit or it's the altitude or what it is but that's uh given where has have been in the last couple of years that's fantastic yeah um i mean you know now up to seventh in the standings i think sixth is their um their best finish in a season isn't it no fourth was it they fourth? got fourth, oh, God, was it fourth oh sorry no no sorry you mean over a constructor's season over a constructor's season yes yeah, sorry um, My sorry fifth, here, fifth in, uh fifth in 2018 Okay, fifth. That's still very good. With Grosjean and K-Mag, obviously. But, um, yeah, th- they seem they seem to have pulled it round. It looks like over the last two races, all right, these are on fairly um, fairly rapid tracks. They've, um, you know, they've really turned it round after um, Schumacher having a few um, disappointing races and K-Mag had a good start and then kind of went off the boil a little bit with... Um, retirements in Miami, Monaco, Azerbaijan, and yeah. a pair of seventeenths. Yeah, in Canada and Spain. Yeah. But um, France is going to be interesting for him because obviously that's a test track. And like you said at the French Grand Prix in twenty nineteen, Chris, the cars finished where they were meant to finish, and nobody could do anything else about it. Yeah, that was uh, yeah because it's a test track. You end up. I mean, we were a bit lucky last year. We had a race between Hamilton and Verstappen for the lead that Verstappen managed to um, managed to come out on top. But the uh, but yeah, because it's a test track, you end up finding that separation between the teams. So the French Grand Prix is going to be, as you say, going to be interesting because we'll, that's where we'll find out where the teams really do sit at the moment. Last time we had this was Spain, Barcelona. 
and I think we've had we've had more upgrades come through then. So we'll um, it'll yeah, be yeah. it'll be a really good test of what's worked and what hasn't. Just don't be surprised if you get a two by two by two by two by two grid, uh, France. Mm. Which is probably why they're not having the sprint race there. Yeah, maybe. Mm. But um, yeah, making the last making the last two races. Then again, we're over the halfway point of the season now, and for the last um, for the last few years, this is where, or certainly in other formulas, this is where Mick's shone. Yeah, um... did, did it in F three, did it in F two because it was nowhere halfway through the um, F two season when he became champion. Mm. Well, I'm not saying he's going to become champion this year. That no, would be, uh... but he's starting. <laughs> You know, he's he's now got to the point where he's actually started to score points, starting to show his potential, should we say? Yeah, um, and he's racy. You know, yeah, he was fighting Hamilton in the sprint race, and there was some very clever defensive moves that he pulled off. Yeah, very much so. You know, you'd um, you'd have expected, oh, Hamilton's on the back of Schumacher. All oh, right, two corners. No, it took what three laps they were battling for. A bit, bit more than that, I think. But yeah, it was. Uh... A good display from Mick Schumacher. Not saying he's he's complete, no, he's far from it. But I mean, this was his best weekend, and not just in terms of results, but in terms of racing. I feel and and attitude as well. Yeah, he, um, seemed, he seems a lot more switched on. Yeah, I think that's agree the best way that. to do it. And K Mag is he's looking like the solid K Mag that we expected, and got disappointed when we didn't get. The solid K Mag. What? What are you talking? About? Well, we, ex- we expected K Mag to be a sort of fairly fairly solid driver. Early, He's doing well earlier as well. On, yeah. Earlier on in his career, we expected that. Oh, see, from earlier on in his career, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's doing really well this season as well. Given that he was, you know, called up last minute, he's having a, you know, barring those those few races where things didn't go well in the middle. He's having a, a pretty good season. Um, all right, he's not going to be happy that he finished two places behind his teammate, but that's it's still a really respectable result for, for Haas. And they qualified well as well. Don't forget that. Yeah, I mean, seventh and ninth in the sprint, and it was looking at one point like it could have been seventh and eighth. Schumacher did want uh, the team to pull Magnussen over so he could get ahead of him um, because... I think it was because he couldn't defend too long against Hamilton, and he wanted he wanted that point. Yeah, he said he was faster than Magnussen, but he did fall out of Magnussen's DRS, which which stopped him from being able to defend. So I don't know. We'll never know. We don't have the data. And of course, the other thing, the other first for uh, for Mick Schumacher, driver, voted driver of the day. Yes, no, rightfully so. It was a good performance. Mm. Um, and I think the runner-up in that is coming next, because um, Alpine next, Ocon in fifth, and Alonso from back of the grid to tenth. Yeah, a classic Alonso. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, and it should have been higher as well, yeah. if, he had, if he didn't have to do his two trips through the pit line at the end. Yep. Yeah, because there, the, um, there was the pit stop that they weren't sure whether the wheel had um, gone on properly or not. It was loose, apparently, because they, they, they did look into it, um, but on the telemetry, the the FAA could see that uh, it, he left the. I think it was either it was either T one or T three. I can't remember which one it was. I imagine it's going to be T three because you kind of cut T one, don't you, through the pit lane? Yeah. Um, uh, and it came loose. The wheel came loose at T three, so they so it's be, it was put down to the fact that it only happened at T three. It's been put down to a failure and not a 
like team leave letting the car go in unsafe condition. That's why he wasn't penalised for it. Ah, right. I didn't actually see the um, didn't actually see the full um, full report of that. I mean, um, with him making that stop under the virtual safety car, then um, that it was kind of good damage control. Yeah, it's. it's I just think it's such a shame. Like, I think we could have seen something pretty special from Alonso this weekend. You know, he, he looked quick on the way up to qualifying. Then the he was qualified out of position because he damaged his car. Then he, they couldn't get him going in the sprint race. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, it's just I, I can't. You just wonder to yourself, like for the, the Alpine's not a bad car now. Yeah, well, just look at what Ocon did. Yeah, when's he going to get a bit of luck to go along with it? It's just crazy. I mean, it's usually Ocon that suffers from bad luck. Or bad teammates. And maybe, Alonso's maybe, been suffering from bad luck before maybe, he was born. Maybe it's, yeah, you know, maybe it's Alonso's turn. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Alonso's been suffering with bad luck since he left fucking Renault the first time. <laughs> I don't know. When he, was there, when he was there the second time, he looked into a win in Singapore. That was fair, yeah. Because yeah, he knew nothing about any shenanigans whatsoever. Absolutely nothing at all. Honest governor. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I, I, I do think it's really cool that um, when Alonso was coming in, he, uh, he informed the team he was coming in in a really nondescript way because he already realised they might have put the wheel on wrong and he didn't want to get a penalty for it. He's good at playing the game. Yeah. And I think, you know, that... Well, that's that's probably why he's been around so long. Also, um, in he's good week, good week for Alpine... He might be the greatest driver of all time. I also, in a good week for Alpine, uh, they won the Six Hours of Monza in w- WEC. Oh, did they? Yes. Very good. Because Glickenhaus exploded. Oh, there's, there's, oh a, there's a bundle of words. Um... Right, next up, Mercedes. Uh, Lewis in third, George in fourth. Um, I think George Russell was potential for, despite the fact he got a penalty for driver of the day for that recovery. I thought that the uh, I he must have had. I, I haven't I haven't checked the like the telemetry or anything like that or the like the that cool map thing they do of the of the cars. He must have had better pace than Lewis pretty much through all that race after his pit stop. To because he did he did he come out dead last? He must have been pretty close to dead last. He was he was ahead of Perez, was the only car he was ahead of. Right. Who he'd already hit. Yeah. I, well, I say he'd already hit. I don't it's such a weird corner that because I mean I I had that down as a racing incident. But then right. you look at a replay from another angle, and Perez was slightly ahead. But Perez had quite a lot of track on his left. No, but the problem is, and this is... Um, but George had quite but, a lot of track on his right. But it's the way they're going. He didn't know he was on the apex. He was he was on the apex of the corner, if you, if you look back at it. Um, this is the issue we've got with these rules now. The issues are putting all the onus on the driver on the inside to back out of a, to back out if there's going to be contact. So basically what you, what can happen is is what Perez did. Perez can sail one around the outside. At that point when Perez was in front of George Russell, there was nothing George Russell could have done. Anyone knows if you break in the middle of a corner, you're going to run wide. If you do it in a road car 
you're going to do it. That's why you don't break going around corners. Um, he, there was nothing Russell could have done from there. And this is this whole militant rule. It's all, it's almost in the same way as if you hit the back of somebody, you're to blame no matter what happened in front of you. It's it, And I, I don't think it's got any place in motor racing because it, it, it lends itself to these murky collisions. And, you know, you get you get something like what science did where science runs off the road, regains position uh, off track. And it's fine because it was the first corner, but another corner down the road, something scrappy happens there and we get penalties for it. It seems fucking weird. Yeah. I'm not sure Hamilton should have got a penalty penalty when the the collision with Albon a couple of years ago. Um, I'm not sure that the, there was there were any of the collisions that we saw were penalty worthy. It's not. I think to get a penalty, you have to show that you either didn't leave enough room, and let's be honest, both drivers left enough room. They just went for the same bit of track and and ended up colliding a little bit. The problem is, uh, sorry, just quickly before you before you say what you're going to say here, because I think it might be valuable. Perez lied in the um, in the media briefing afterwards to justify it. Because Perez said, I was on the edge of the track. There was nowhere I could go. When you look back at it, George Russell was on the apex and Perez had two car lengths, two car widths of track next to him. So it's, it, I, I, I don't get it. I, re, I really don't. Um, yeah, well, the, the, I don't like understand team, it. Team, uh, team managers will always back up their drivers, won't they? Drivers will always say what they have to. to... Oh, yeah. Absolutely, their own arguments. Well, what I mean, what I mean is, if if there's any if there's any evidence that um, George probably shouldn't have had a penalty for that, it's the fact that even if Perez, it might not have been Perez's choice to say it, even if he's just been instructed to say it, the fact that Perez had to lie to justify it shows maybe it was more of a grey area than a slam dunk penalty. Possibly. You've got to take everything that every Red Bull driver says with a um, with a pinch of salt, or possibly more, just because of what they're being told to say by the powers that be at that team. I think I think it's all teams, isn't it? It's not just Red Bull. I think I think Red Bull are the worst at it, or the best at it. Um, no, I'd have, I'd have, I think I'd have had that as racing incident. I think it should be racing honest. incident, but. I mean the the penalties were um, the penalties were. I'm going to use this one again. David Beckham like this weekend. They were coming thick and fast. Yeah. Is David Beckham thick and fast? Oh, <gasps> <laughs> he's a national treasure. I think you'll find. What you want to bury him? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Great film. He also hangs around with a skeleton. <laughs> But yeah, there was there was there was all the penalties, all the warnings. Um, I mean, another football analogy is referees that get the yellow card out early like to um, sort of impose their uh, their dominance on the game, and they won't they won't stand for any rule infringements if you get a booking within the first five minutes. And I think that would it, it just set the tone for the rest of the race where they were coming down hard yeah. on everyone. However, with the track yeah. limits, I'm fully in favour of um, there's the white line, that is the edge of the track. 
Yes. Yeah, I can't argue with that. They've been drivers have been told about this for years. Yeah. If they're gonna like, make if they're gonna make running wide optional in Austria, make it compulsory in Monaco, and that'll stop them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so if you're gonna if you're gonna take advantage of all the space that's there, um, keep to the rules. the The rule has been there for, as I say, this isn't a new rule. It's been there for for so many years, and we've always seen oh, track limits warnings, and but then hardly anything more ever happens from that. And then they were told this weekend, if you go over the track limits, we are going to start dishing out penalties, and they did. Yeah. Um, ca- case in point being um, as we're doing Red Bull next, Perez in uh, qualifying. Not only did he lose his fastest lap in um, Q2, um, he also got all his Q3 times deleted, so had to start the sprint in 13th. Yes. But that should have been sorted at the time. Did he leave the track? Yes, yes, he, yes, but he then, did. I, but I, then he's, I not, he's not in Q3. Yeah, and the, un- the only reason that they did it that way was they were debating it for too long. Um, so the... Um, it, so the drivers... It was hot that, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we we were watching it, uh, me and Matt were watching it in the pub on Friday afternoon. It was like, he went off there, they're going to scrub this lap. And I was amazed when they didn't. And then when it only came out after Q3 had finished. But apparently it took them that long to decide um, that the um, drivers who would have been affected by this were all out of the car and had all been weighed. So they couldn't get back in. Hmm. Makes you wonder, doesn't it, whether we should have a slightly longer period between um, Q1 and Q2. Not huge, just an extra two minutes um, where all drivers have to go back into the back into the garage and are told to leave the cars when they've been eliminated. So it's just in case you have these things where you can you can quickly fucking work it out if there's anything that that needs to be done. You can you can sort it out really smart, and then get qualifying underway. Because again, a Gasly suffered, Disney. It's a shame for it's a shame for people where they're they're, they're losing out because other people aren't being penalised on time. Yeah, because I mean, um, Gasly ended up tenth on the um, tenth on the grid for the sprint, but yeah. could he have? Um... It's fucking TV. Well, Make it five actually... minutes. Fill it with an ad break. Yeah, actually. Could Gasly have got got higher than tenth on the grid? Well, yes, he could because the um because of Hamilton's crash. Yeah, and uh, George's crash. You know, it's I well. Know, I mean, George. I know up... he got a lap in, but I'm I'm saying that you there could be anything could happen if if neither of them had had a lap in. He he finds himself ahead of two Mercedes immediately. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, it was it, it, it was it was unfair on him. Yeah, it, it, it just makes sense to not do it in quite as much of a rush. I mean, you're only talking about adding maybe ten minutes to the you know to the whole proceedings of of like of, of the whole qualifying even, session. You don't even need that. It was obvious that Perez left the track, and from from the camera angle, that all four wheels were well over the white line on his fastest lap. Yeah, and the, we're told, oh yeah, the stewards have got sensors and they've got different cameras that we don't see on TV. Like, well, do they fucking work or not? And if they don't work, don't fucking use them. And if they do yeah. work, then give them the penalty. Yeah, I mean, it was blatantly obvious, and we were watching the shot from the bloody helicopter. Yeah, was it the helicopter? Yeah. Or was it the was it? But yeah, but the, the shot that we I saw from the car from behind, it was definitely all four wheels off. Mm. 
nothing against Checo. I mean, you've got to you got to push the limits. Of course you do. But I mean, if if they're going to be that strict on the penalties during the race, they should have been the same in qualifying and given another driver a chance to do more in uh, in Q3. Yeah. Just want to go back to Mercedes, actually. One thing that I forgot to talk about, the um, Russell and Hamilton crashes in qualifying. Um, that was all down to the amount of down, rear downforce they weren't running. They were really on the edge for that. Clearly, yeah. Lee, did you say it was 10 kilometres an hour difference between not making the corner and... Uh, sorry, between making the corner and crashing? That's what I read, yeah. Yeah, so it means that's what six miles per hour. So mm. not a huge amount, but clearly enough to to tilt the end of that car around. And I thought maybe that was a problem that Mercedes were going to have th- throughout the rest of the weekend, you know, sprint race and then main Grand Prix. But it didn't. They, they clearly sorted it out yeah, before I that. Yeah, I don't, don't Matt, know what, who was with, I was going to say I don't one. know what the, I don't know what the Park Fermi reg, um, regulations are for sprint weekends. Whether they're actually allowed to change anything on the rear wing or not, because they're normally. Um, Anything on the rear wing is normally frozen at the end of um, at the quality. start. Sorry, at the start of quality when you leave when you leave the pits at uh, the start of Q one. Yeah, but then there was a whole argument as to why we practicing under park Fermi regulations at FP three before the sprint. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's when the sprint starts. I have no idea. But also, Matt was with us on Saturday, wasn't he? We were talking about the uh, the qualifying crashes. With Mercedes, and he was saying that 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 looked like almost like a slam dunk gearbox change on both Mercs because they both hit uh, lateral force on a rear wheel. Well, Lewis had to change his entire chassis. Um, the right hand side crash structure was too badly damaged, so by the time the sprint rolled around, Lewis was sat in a new tub. Yeah, but did did he need a new gearbox? Um, I didn't actually check up on that, and I've not had not seen anything come through to say that he did. But of course, gearbox um, gearbox use has changed now, so it's not an immediate yeah. penalty if you put a new one in there. Um, they're now limited in the same way that all other um, power unit components are. Mm-hmm. So it could be one that's been taken. Out, could be a new one that's been taken out of the pool for both of them. Yeah. We've got two weeks between the next race. I'm sure there's going to be lots of time for plenty of technical updates. And uh, Scarbs, answer your tweets. Come back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, on Red Bull, though, um, Perez obviously they retired the car because it was too badly damaged to um, to carry on. Um, that is something that we're going to be seeing a lot of now that the cost cap is in full effect. Where it's oh, it's a bit beat up. Keep going. You might get you might get a point or two. Mm. Now they've got to, now they've got to um, really sort of calculate risk reward for is it worth keeping on going? Yeah, we can get a couple of points, but how much is it going to cost us to um, repair what's gradually being damaged while the uh, while the car's going round? Yeah, they are saying as well, aren't they? That they'll they'll take points off of teams if they overspend in the budget cap so that they don't get the the monetary gains from um being higher up in the standings mm. um is it just the teams that are being penalized or is it the drivers that are going to suffer for it as well because that seems that i seems don't to, know that seems to be a favorite of making the driver suffer for a team mistake yeah yeah that's uh yeah i don't know how did you, did you penalize the driver I don't know. Strange one. Yeah, because driver salaries aren't included in the cost cap, so maybe what the driver does shouldn't be. Um, On the other side of that garage, though, Max in second. The tyres just did not 
last. I don't know if they if they didn't last. They told them to push, didn't they, when they realised what pace Ferrari had. So they just so straight away, I think they decided that they were just going to get him to push instead of manage, and um, you know try try and two stop and um, get as much pace out of the car as they could. They were saying on Sky that it was a cooler conditions that suited the Ferrari on the Sunday than they did on the Saturday, which then questioned Martin Brundle questioned, well, why didn't Charles Leclerc stick it down the inside of Max Verstappen on Saturday? I'll tell you exactly why he didn't do that on Saturday, because he would have started at the back of the grid. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I don't want to say it's like a Ferrari resurgence, because, I mean, Sainz was on his way to passing Max for second when his car decided to become a barbecue mm. and um but so, but yeah i mean verstappen did a did, did the best job that he could in a car that he couldn't quite make work and um second place is a is, is a decent return for that let's be honest yeah uh, you're, you're not going to be too upset with that still leads the championship by a, a whole load of points Mm. And will probably be the favourite to win the championship. Still, I would think. I don't think that Charles Leclerc and Ferrari are back in it just yet. Not, not yet. And even, even if there were, you'd expect something to go wrong because it's what happens to Ferrari. But there's going to be more DNS for Charles Leclerc and engine penalties coming. You know, oh, it's, they, oh, it's there's a, a fundamental it's a problem. Fundamental problem with that car. Yeah, Ferrari can either have a quick engine or a reliable engine by the looks of things. Magnussen was saying that he was um, he was concerned about um, about his engine misfiring as well later on in the race. What, his engine was misfiring? He was concerned about it? Misfiring. It was misfiring and he was concerned whether it was going to um, whether it was going to last or not. Oh, got you. Okay. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Red Bull are looking at the tyre degradation issue and at the moment they don't they don't know why. So what I'm thinking is they probably do know why and it will be sorted for the next race. Mm. which is typical Red Bull style. And that just leaves Ferrari. Um, I mean, we've already talked about the Carlos Sainz fire. He was having a good race up to that point. Like you say, Chris, he was he was pushing for second. I think he had, he had the pace to get it. Well, yeah, he was, he was literally just about to pull alongside Max when his car yeah. decided to go pop. And Leclerc's worries at the end with a sticking throttle. Is that psychological or was that an actual thing? No, that, that was that was an actual thing. The um, the throttle couldn't um, couldn't bounce back all the way up, so it was leaving it on the revs. Even even though the throttle it, it it's still drive by wire, but obviously the sensor was detecting that the throttle was pushed in, so the it was keeping the revs higher than they needed to be. So he was having trouble with downshifts because he said he was um, particularly worried for turn three which is um, the hardest-breaking, lowest-speed corner. Yeah, he, he did lose a lot of pace in the last couple of laps, didn't he? But luckily, by that point, he had enough in hand to make sure that he uh, could could stay ahead. If there had been a full safety car instead of a virtual for the science fire, then I think Leclerc and Verstappen might have swapped places again. Um, that would that would have just depended on Verstappen's tyres because I think I mean Verstappen started to catch at the end and then fell away again because, because I thought I thought he closed the gap quite a lot in the last couple of laps. Um, I think I think in the last in the last two laps Verstappen closed, but he'd already dropped it. He 
gained a little, then dropped back when the tyres went, and then gained a little oh, more when you. the player slowed down. Okay, got you. So, yeah, we'll never know. But, yeah, gr- great win for Charles Leclerc to even manage that problem at, at, at the end. His first win where he hasn't started on pole position, um, you know, back, you know, depending on what you bloody call pole position. Pole position qualifying or sprint? But the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Started... Both of them were Max Verstappen anyway. Yeah, started so... from the front spot on the grid. Yeah. Mm. Uh, actually, just side note, this weekend is another successful story for the sprint race, I think. It is. It's the, that circuit suits a sprint race, I think. Mm. Yeah. I like it. It, 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 it just, the, there just seems to be higher stakes in a sprint race weekend. Not just the points. You know, it's the extra... Like things can happen to fuck your weekend up. Yeah, I mean you've got you've got a third more third more racing laps to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got you've got to make sure that the car can actually last that long, and you've got to look at you know running on a third of a tank. What it, what does it do on a third of a tank on a fresh set of tires? Which probably isn't um, a simulated run that they're used to doing during practice, but. You don't. You only get the. Um, you only get the two practices before it. Mm-hmm. So you've got more to learn, and less effectively, and less time to learn it in. Yes. Which means that um, inherently you've got to take more risks. And strategy risks are uh, what we watch F one for, and usually take the piss out of Ferrari because of. I was it. just saying, not for our strong points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, right, so, that leaves our usual, rock stars and wankers. Um, I think Leclerc in the rock star category. Yeah, I mean, for just getting that that car round the way he did at the end and not losing to Max, apparently he's, he had to lift and coast quite a lot, like through corners, because just to, to allow himself to know where the throttle, what the throttle was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, mu- it must be a, sc- a scary thing. I mean, you know, if, if it's just stuck to a bit, to to a point, you um, you don't know if that problem's going to get worse, and you're going to come into like say say the last corner, for instance, because of how quick that is, and all of a sudden your car won't slow down. You know, it's mm. that that must be a fucking awkward position to be, to have yourself. Definitely. Um, other rock stars, Alonso, pit lane to points. Well, yeah, yeah, back, back 100%. to points. Um, Russell, yep, yeah. uh, essentially the same thing pit lane to uh, to fourth. And what 14 was he 14 seconds behind Hamilton, or did he drop back to 16? Um, I think it, I think it was about 16 in the end, that's, yeah. That's just... I, I think. I think at one point the lowest it was down to was was fourteen. I'm sure I'm seventeen point seventeen point seven. Either way, to be um, to to have that happen in the first lap, go to last, have to work your way back through, and to only and to be less than twenty seconds down on Hamilton, and essentially less than a pit stop down on him. That's Did Hamilton have an extra drive. pit stop, or did Russell also take one as well? I think Russell took one as well. Um, Not sure. Yeah, they had the same number of pit stops. They both two yeah. stopped. Yeah. So for, yeah, fair play then. A great, great yeah. drive by uh, by George to get back up that that far. 
Yeah. Uh, what else we got? Uh, Hass with the double points. Um, yeah. Wings triumphant, who, you, who always sends us uh, rock stars and wankers. Um, he said, going to say track limits. Drivers need to get over themselves and stick to the track limits. If they want to keep overstepping them, then I'm more, then I'm more than in favour of punishing them. Time to take this seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go with Absolutely. that. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'll go yeah. with that. Um, wankers. Um... A lot of the fans, because apparently there was some um, nasty behaviours going on. Yeah, I yeah, heard that. Nobody, nobody should go to a race and have shit shouted at them. Mm. Um, no, it seems to be happening a lot, doesn't it? Like the, yeah. this goes, this goes back to the same thing I was talking about with um, so, like social media, Formula One social media fans, and I can only think that it's because. We've got ourselves in that unfortunate situation again, which I think, unfortunately for Formula One, it's a situation that needs itself to be in because it wants, um, it wants a Sunday afternoon. I don't watch, I don't really watch Formula One, but I'll watch the race now and again. You know, there's, there's been the big grab to get the casual fans back. Um, and unfortunately, when you get people that aren't really into the sport, um, engaging, I, th- I, they do tend to be pretty nasty. Yeah, I think I think there's, there's. So these are people who are at the circuit. Weren't oh they? yeah, so yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah. They paid tickets, so you know oh, there, there was apparently sexist abuse and racist. That's what I mean. I think, but I think it's I think it's the same people that have spilt onto the racetrack. Like I think that, um, I'm pro- I'll get shouted out here from both camps of people, but I think what the... sexist and racist. Yeah, um, I think like not all, but but and definitely not not all. But I I, I think recent fans um, are in the Lewis Hamilton and uh, Max Verstappen camp are all pretty fucking horrible people. To be perfectly honest, right? They're, they're both both sides of, uh, and I think it's it's almost like a, a blur and oasis thing because you've got. Each side has managed to make the other driver their um, antagonist. Um, and ironically, Swade and Pulp were both better. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Controversial. Yeah, but true. Um, Manson's better than all of them. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I just think, unfortunately, we've got ourselves these this group of fans. They don't, they don't really care about motor racing. <clears throat> they probably don't watch qualifying they probably don't watch full races they probably only go online when uh their uh their their hero is won or they need to jeer at their fucking nemesis so the wrestling style fans is basically pretty much yeah yeah pretty much Mm. moving on to other wankers uh the ferrari engine described as a frag grenade Certainly Carlos is. Um, mm. uh, he's also put Aston Martin just in general for a really shit season and performance so far. And where, do, where, where do we give the participation award to? Because there's a lot of candidates this week. Yeah, uh, Latifi. Oh. Okay. Yeah, Latifi, we didn't even see him retire, did we? Um, oh, I don't remember and it we anyway. still, I think we still saw more of him than Alban, who was running 10th and didn't get a mention. 
Yeah, I think that I think that there's there's many participation awards. Just to make it fair, we'll give out lots, but we won't say who to. <laughs> <laughs> um, one other rock star to mention this week: um, tattoo designer Kenny Tyson, who um, is coming up with some tattoo concept art just in general because that's what he does. And he sent us an absolutely amazing three legs, four wheels one. Fucking awesome! Which, if I got, if if I was the kind of person to have a tattoo. I've got to 52 and I've not had one yet. I would actually get that. And if anyone wants to see it, it's um I think I shared I may have shared it on Instagram, but I'll put it up on um on our socials. It was definitely on Twitter. But I'll I'm um still, I'll repost I'm still not it. I'm completely convinced I'm not gonna get it on my leg if I'm honest. Do you know what? I, I am kinda kinda tempted to get it myself. But yeah, I, I originally said it wouldn't go with the with with the other tattoos I've got on my arms, and my friend Susie messaged me and said we could definitely put it on your leg. I'm like, oh, okay, with me as a completely blank canvas with a lot of space to work on, unfortunately, um, I'm pondering that. I'll give it. I'll give it some thought. Tweet hashtag Paul Tat yes or hashtag Paul Tat no. There is no second hashtag. <laughs> it's not a binding vote. I just want to see what people's opinions are. <laughs> Purely an advisory referendum. Oh, I'm gone. Shit, where have I heard that before? Right, I'm just dis- we're disappearing before we get too far into politics. So much, so much for our um, quick little show tonight. We've got two hours. Yeah, oh, it's a great chat with Cameron. But so, thank yeah. you, thank you again to Cameron for coming on, and best of luck for um, the rest of this season. And like I said at the time, if you, your company, your organisation is in a position to offer sponsorship to Cameron, um, get in touch with us, uh, threelegsfourwheels at gmail.com, and we'll put you in touch. Obviously, we've got the website, threelegsfourwheels.com, and we're at threelegsfourwheels on the socials, and individually on Twitter, we are... At Flood21. At a total shunt. Sean is at Sean Cowper, and I am at Pablo100. Also, if you um, want to help us get the um, get the show out and keep the show running, you can subscribe to Patreon, which is patreon.com slash three legs, four wheels. One dollar, one euro, one pound, or similar per month. Uh, you get the show a little bit extra. Uh, no adverts on the rare occasions we've got advertising in, and the occasional extra Patreon show, and lots of other goodies besides when we do them. Um, right, we'll be back next week. I think we'll have a preview of the French Grand Prix and whatever else we may find. So, wishing, yep. wishing Sean and my dad um, get well soon. Absolutely. And uh, we'll see you next week. Bye bye. Indeed. Ciao. Bye.